Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 15. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you this word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Our reading is from Luke chapter 10, from verse 38 to verse 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. 
Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, I shall be speaking on that passage from Luke, which has just been read out. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. If you were here last week, uh, you would have heard read the parable which comes immediately before this passage, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That great story about the nature of Christian service and its cost, with the added factor of the giver being neither the priest nor the Levite, not even a Jew, but a despised Samaritan. The great division between Jew and Samaritan is being challenged. So Luke follows that story uh, with this account of the friends of Jesus, Martha and Mary, at their home in Bethany. Martha's described as opening her home to Jesus, That meant welcoming him and no doubt others with him and would have involved much additional work as hospitality always does and there would have been a meal. It doesn't require much imagination to see the scene. Martha, alone in the kitchen, surrounded by food awaiting preparation and dishes lined up for use, the hot fire the dirty dishes, the timings to be achieved and watched, the guests just off stage looking forward to a good meal, and the perspiration running down her back. And she's on her own. Her sister Mary, who Martha thought ought to have been there at her side, taking her share of the work and responsibility, uh, is in the main room with Jesus. She is cool and relaxed and listening intently to all that he has to say. Martha misses it. No wonder Martha's distracted. No wonder there's anger and resentment in her attitude as she almost accuses Jesus of not noticing, of being indifferent to her efforts. So she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the sympathy she's seeking is not found in his response. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. At first sight, therefore, this seems to be a story uh, about an activist and a contemplative. We know many people like Martha who were always busy with tasks to perform, demands to be met, people to minister to, letters to write, and so on. And we know others like Mary who we label too easily as being too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly use. But it's a reminder that we can't find salvation simply by our own works, however worthy and however demanding, but that what is primary is faith, to be at the feet of Jesus, listening to him, as Mary was. Martha's service is not 
wrong in itself. Someone has to do what has to be done. But it's spoiled by her self-concern and her bitterness. Some commentators believe that Martha's uh, problem is that she's preparing an over-elaborate meal, that perhaps one course uh, would be quite sufficient, something simpler would be adequate and less distracting for Martha, who would then be enabled to spend some time away from the kitchen and sitting with Mary at Jesus' feet. But the simplicity of the story means that commentators see different emphases and meanings in this account. Why does Luke put it in here, and what are we to draw from it? We can see easily enough what may be taught by Martha's attitude, but what are we to understand from Mary? Some call this Martha's story, but it isn't exclusively about Martha. Mary has a role in it too. Some, including Tom Wright, see a quite different significance in the event, one which we easily miss when we wear our 21st century spectacles. Some years ago, Anita and I, with our son Nicholas and his wife, were invited to a supper in East Oxford by a Muslim, Mr. Khan. It was generous of him, but a very odd event through Western eyes and somewhat discomforting. On arrival, uh, Nick and I were invited into the sitting room to talk with our host about important affairs, things that men are qualified to discuss. We politely disagreed with our host when he uh, uh, spoke of 9-11 and described it as a CIA conspiracy, and he wrote the Muslim perpetrators out of the script altogether. But that's another story. Meanwhile, our wives were dispatched to the kitchen to talk to Mrs. Khan, no doubt about homely, domesticated matters. When the meal was served, our wives came to join us, but not Mrs. Khan, who remained throughout in the kitchen. And the only time we men saw her was at the door of her kitchen as we left at the end of the evening. It was a reminder that in that culture, there is a woman's space and that the men occupy an entirely different area. And there are impenetrable barriers between them. Not only do they have separate spaces, but in that culture, entirely different roles too. Wives are dependent on the husband. They are his possession. And the difficulty in challenging them is epitomized by the brave young Asian girl who was shot by the Taliban for supposedly threatening the integrity of one of those barriers in pressing for women to have the right to some education. So in biblical times, the culture was also restrictive and much closer to that of the Muslim one that I've hinted at uh, than our culture, our Western culture today, where wives and women were much nearer to being the possessions of their male relations, not much different from slaves. And social and religious barriers effectively kept men and women apart and the women in an inferior place. When we read the story of Martha and Mary, we can miss this, as we are quite used to men and women mixing freely together. 
the barriers against women being educated fell uh, a long time ago. Theological colleges have long been mixed, and today, though we may still be arguing about the role of women as bishops, if you go to an ordination in many dioceses, you may well find more women than men being ordained. But in Jesus' day, things were very different. When he spoke to the woman at the well, it was across a barrier between the sexes which made it culturally unacceptable for a Jewish male to converse with a female. And in the Martha Mary story, what surprises and should shock us is not primarily the fact that Mary wasn't in the kitchen with Martha, but that she was in the public room with the men. She was indeed acting as though she was a man. Indeed, it goes further than that. Mary is described as sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. This is a phrase which is used to describe the attitude of a disciple to his master, as Saul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. To sit at the feet of a rabbi was to imply that you would in due course become a rabbi yourself. Having been taught, you would yourself become a teacher. What upset Martha then was not merely that she felt entitled to Mary's help, but that Mary was acting scandalously in breaking through that barrier. One contemporary rabbi wrote, if a man gives his daughter knowledge of the law, it is as though he taught her lechery. So Jesus, in his response to Martha, uses Mary to show that not only is it right to listen to Jesus, but that the cultural barrier between men and women, which has been inviolate for centuries, is no more. In the same way that the cultural barrier between Jew and Samaritan, shown in the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, has also been uh, broken apart. Men and women have many ways of devising barriers to make themselves feel safer, more comfortable, superior, to exclude others they feel threatened by or don't like. Um, and our contemporary barriers may be class or culture, language or history, but Jesus challenges all those barriers with the reminder that we are creatures of the one true God, all sinners, and the powerful love of God uh, calls and drives us to destroy what so easily and effectively divides us one from another. This story is another step which will lead to Galatians 3.28 in God's kingdom where there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. So we can never be saying as Martha did, Lord, you don't care about me and my problems, my pains, my position, my injustice. For God always cares and suffers with us in whatever situation we are in. Nor must we be separated by human barriers which have no place in God's kingdom. Rather, we must listen to him and must know and be changed by his love, which breaks down the human barriers which separate us and the prejudices which divide. Not everyone may agree with the, this interpretation of the story of Martha and Mary, uh, 
Yet there seems to me to be a strange parallel with the Good Samaritan. If the Good Samaritan challenges us to our understanding of the second commandment, to love our neighbor, and sweeps away the ancient and destructive racial prejudice, the Martha Mary story challenges challenges us in our understanding of the first commandment, to love the Lord our God and to be open to him as Mary was. And may it not also suggest an end to the gender prejudices which attempt to confine women's roles to the domestic and the culinary. Taking them together, we see that both commandments are essential, that as we listen to Jesus, his spirit sends us out to serve others in his name, and that as we serve others, we must always be listening to and present with the Lord. Our service is an act of love for him. Amen. Amen.